The following is a Westminster Seminary, California morning devotion given by a guest speaker. The statements, views, and opinions presented in this message are those of the speaker and do not necessarily reflect the opinions of Westminster Seminary, California. For more information about Westminster Seminary, California, visit us online at wscal.edu or call 888-480-8474. That's online, wscal.edu or call 888-480-8474. 8474. Well, good morning, brothers and sisters. It is my privilege to introduce our speaker this morning, Reverend Ted Hamilton. He is the pastor of New Life PCA here in Escondido and has served there for 19 years. He is a graduate of the seminary and graduated in 2000. He practiced law for 17 years before that in Orange County as a Stanford grad. He's an adjunct professor of practical theology here at the seminary, an at-large board member of the seminary, and also he is a committee member at Mission to the World and is on the Haven Ministry Board. Other than that, he doesn't do much uh, at all. Um, He's uh, the husband of one wife, a father of two children, and grandpa to four. And we are delighted that you're here with us, brother. Thank you. Thank you, Chuck. Good to be with you this morning. Good to see some of you men from PT603 in here. Uh, your shot at me. Uh, I, don't, I, I, I kept this, the preaching rubrics away, though, so you can. Um, well, in this, uh, this ongoing faculty series on the great reversals in Scripture, we're going to look at one in uh, the book of Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 9, uh, verses 18 through 28. Hebrews 9, 18 through 28. This is God's word. Therefore, not even the first covenant was inaugurated without blood. For when every commandment of the law had been declared by Moses to all the people, he took the blood of calves and goats with water and scarlet wool and hyssop and sprinkled both the book itself and all the people, saying, this is the blood of the covenant that God commanded for you. And in the same way, he sprinkled with the blood both the tent and all the vessels used in worship. Indeed, under the law, almost everything is purified with blood. And without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. Thus, it was necessary for the copies of the heavenly things to be purified with these rites. But the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. For Christ has entered not into holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true things, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. Nor was it to offer himself repeatedly as the high priest enters the holy places every year with blood not his own, for then he would have had to suffer repeatedly since the foundation of the world. But as it is, he has appeared once for all at the end of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And just as it is is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment, so Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, may the words of my mouth and the thoughts of our minds now be pleasing and acceptable and before you, Lord, our rock and our redeemer. And we pray these things in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. 
But one of the challenges to coming to faith in Jesus, or in our case, continuing in faith in Jesus, is the relative invisibility of Christianity. There's just not a lot to see, uh, especially in our Presbyterian and Reformed traditions. The world, the flesh, and the devil, uh, which assault us uh, and tempt us, especially in 2020, uh, are all too visible. But the God who leads us and the God on whom we lean on to get us through is uh, invisible. And that's a challenge. At least speaking for myself, it's easier for me to walk by sight, not by faith. And certainly the believers here in, in the book of Hebrews were, were, were being drawn back into that, drawn away, were being drawn away, and back into a more visible religion. Uh, and the author is pulling them forward into their faith in Jesus, uh, the Jesus that they couldn't see, the Jesus that we don't see. So I have just two points this morning in this uh, devotion, and then I want to close it off with uh, three concluding applications. Uh, first point is the necessary visibility of the Old Covenant, the necessary visibility of the Old Covenant. And then the second point is the better invisibility of the new covenant. The better invisibility of the new covenant. So first, the necessary visibility of the old covenant. That's really the point of verses 18 through 23 here. Uh, when the old covenant was inaugurated, everything, right? The, the, the tabernacle, the vessels used in the worship, even the people themselves are uh, dripping with blood. The first part of verse 23 says that that shocking visible demonstration was necessary. It was necessary for the copies of the heavenly things to be purified with these rites. Well, why was it necessary? Well, verse 22 actually answers that question, right? Uh, it was necessary for a didactic reason, right? It was necessary to teach you and me uh, a, a critical truth that without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. God did not give the law as a way of salvation for us. He gave it... Uh, among other reasons, uh, to, to drive home hard truth against our stubborn, self-reliant, self-confident hearts that we're lawbreakers and, and that if we're going to stand before God, there has to be an atoning sacrifice for our constant lawbreaking. Right. So that's the necessary visibility of the Old Covenant. Now let's turn to the, uh, the better invisibility of the New Covenant. Of course, the atoning sacrifice that we need uh, is Jesus. That's what all of this uh, was pointing forward to. Hebrews is a textbook, uh, a wonderful textbook for preachers in showing us how uh, Old Testament ra realities point forward to uh, and find their fulfillment in uh, Jesus. And that's, that 
fulfillment is well expressed, I think, in the great reversal here, which is in verse 26. The, the ESV veils it a bit with its translation. They, they introduce it as, but as it is, but really the Greek, uh, the literal Greek says, but now, but now he, Jesus, has appeared once for all at the end of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. The priest becomes the sacrifice. But why is that invisible? And why is that invisibility better? I think there are three reasons here. The, the, the first reason why this is invisible and it's better is what I would is because it is what I would call historical invisibility. Unlike so many other religions, right? Christianity is a historic religion. It, it turns on, it absolutely depends on events happening in earth history involving specific people in specific places at specific times. And of course, when we're talking about Jesus, we're talking about a unique event. Uh, when the priest becomes the sacrifice, right, uh, that, that's an unrepeatable act, as verse 26 says. It's once for all. Jesus' blood, he's, this, is, this is the death of God. Jesus' blood has eternal efficacy. It's not repeated. So if you lived before the cross, you didn't see it. It was invisible to you. If you lived after the cross, like you and me do, it's invisible to us. We, did, we don't see it. In fact, only a relatively small, small number of people saw the cross of Jesus. But in fact, we ought not to be embarrassed by that fact. It, that's a wonderful fact. It, what it does is underline how history works. We would expect that to be the case. Our faith depends upon real people, Jesus, doing real things, sacrificing himself on a Roman cross, three days later rising from uh, the grave. This is how historical events are experienced and witnessed. So invisibility is better because the kind of invisibility we're talking about is historical invisibility. That's the first one. Second, second reason, even more fundamental, as, as verses 23 and 24 tell us, mysteriously, even as Jesus was being sacrificed outside the city walls of Jerusalem, the real locus of the action wasn't there. It was happening where you and I couldn't see it happening in heaven itself. If you were standing there witnessing the crucifixion of Jesus Christ, you weren't seeing everything. The writer of Hebrews lets us in, right? To sort of, we get the peek behind the curtain and understand that as that's going on, Jesus' blood was cleansing uh, the temple not made with human hands in, in heaven. And I, a lot of people get heartburn about that. You know, wh wh how, how is it that they can say that Jesus would be purifying the, the heavenly things 
not the copies, but the heavenly things, as if those are th things are impure. I mean, th they would be pure if they're in heaven and they're in the presence of God. Well, it seems to me the answer to that is pretty easy. Jesus had to purify them because you and I are going there. And if Jesus' blood didn't go before us into heaven, into the realities that, that all of that old covenant worship uh, was pointing, uh, then you and I would desecrate heaven. So the invisibility is good because it means that uh, this, is, this is not only a historical earthbound reality, but it is a transcendent heavenly reality. And that Jesus was, in fact, in heaven, preparing our way, guaranteeing our future. One other reason, third reason, why the invisibility of the new covenant is better. And, and that's because uh, after our priest became the sacrifice, he was raised to become your advocate. Verse 24. He was raised now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. Jesus is invisible because Jesus is now your 24-7 lawyer in heaven, pleading your case, a case he will always win because he is pleading his blood, his, his sacrificial atoning death for your sins. It's the winning argument. And he even paid your retainer in his own blood, which means he will always be at his post for you, standing before the bar of God's justice for you, advocating for you. So invisibility is really a lot better. It presents challenges, of course. It means faith. It means that you and I have to walk by faith now, not by sight, and that is a challenge. There's a wonderful woman in my congregation who used to be a nun. In fact, not just a nun. She was uh, a mother superior. Uh, she left the Roman Catholic Church uh, a number of years ago, before my time at, at New Life, for principled theological reasons. And wonderfully ended up getting married and, and having a son, her, her, her only child, a son, who's, who is uh, who's now a good friend and, and an attorney as well. Um, when she gave birth to that son, uh, my predecessor at New Life sent her a card that said, you used to be a mother superior, now you're going to be a superior mother. Cute. Um, she has profound faith, and, and uh, I, I have learned so much from her and continue to learn so much from her. But over the years I've been at New Life, she occasionally, very occasionally, uh, comes in uh, to my study sometimes, struggling uh, with assurance, just tears, you know, struggling with, 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 with knowing that she's saved. Because steeped as she had been, of course, in Roman Catholicism, she was, she was and, and she honestly says it, I, you know, she says, Ted, I wish you were a priest. And she's missing a priest that she could see, a priest that could absolve her 
uh, a priest uh, that could give her penance to do, right? That's part of visibility, right? Our, our doing. And what do we do? What do I do? Well, we just sit together in my study and remember together the things I've just been talking about, right? Just reminding her what she knows, reminding myself what I know. Why Jesus and the new covenant, as unseen as much of it is, is infinitely better than going back to something more visible and less transcendent. I just remind her, right? She's got, she wouldn't want me as a priest, right? And, and you've got Jesus as a priest. Uh, there's no better priest. And there's no need for penance because Jesus' obedience and sacrifice fully and forever cemented her relationship with the Lord. There's no penance to do. Well, let's close with just three concluding applications here um, as you go a couple of few takeaways here first if the invisibility is a challenge or if it's discouraging you remember it's only temporary um, as that wonderful hymn it is well uh, reminds us one day our faith will be sight the clouds will be rolled back as a scroll. As, as verse 28 tells us, Jesus Christ will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. See, I think it's that, it's that hope that one day, you know, it's going to be different. You're going to be able to see and touch the face of the one who made you. And it is that hope, it's that resurrection hope that, that helps us persevere through the daily challenges when we don't see all of that yet. That's the first application. Be encouraged by Christ's return. Eagerly wait for him. Know that this invisibility only lasts for a time. Second, um, you know, Jesus apparently knew we would struggle with invisibility. And that's one reason why he ordained the sacrament of the Lord's Supper and why we must always be preaching the gospel because the word comes by hearing. And it's essential that the message be proclaimed and heard. We must also robustly come to the table and, and, and call our people to robustly and joyfully come to the Lord's table. Because, it, because Jesus knew that it's as we see and smell and touch and, and taste the wine and the bread that we become reminded of, among other things, that God came in the flesh and God is coming back in the flesh. That our faith is, though heavenly, uh, also very earthy, historical. Don't let a conscience sensitive to your sin keep you from the food you need. I have a lot, you know, it's, it's always a temptation of believers in my congregation who are sensitive to how deeply they've sinned to feel like they, they can't come to the table. And those are the people that precisely need to come. 
And then lastly, um, because Jesus' atoning sacrifice in this great reversal was once for all, right? It's not, it's not a repeating reality anymore like the old covenant. But it is, it's in, this, in the new covenant, it's once for all. That means, now bear with me here, that I don't need to shed my own blood and I don't need to shed the blood of others. Now, what do I mean by that? I'm talking figuratively. Um, some of you are pouring, or you will pour, your own blood, sweat, and tears into your calling, whatever that turns out to be. And you're doing it because down deep, you're trying to assuage guilt, you're trying to cover shame, you're trying to make yourself acceptable to God and other people. Look, Christian friend, if that's you, remember that only Jesus' blood can do those things. Only Jesus' blood is going to assuage guilt and cover your shame and make yourself acceptable. By all means, work hard. Of all people, uh, we called into the, into the service of the gospel must work hard, but don't make the leap and look to your work as your salvation or your identity. You're only going to find that, only will find that in the, in the blood of Jesus. That's an identity that transcends whatever you're doing. And then, so, so you don't need to shed your own blood, is what I mean, right? And then, and then you don't need to shed the blood of others. You know, it's a scary symptom of our depravity, and it's on full display in 2020, uh, that we exult in the failures of others. How easy it is for us to do that to exult in the failures of others, to feel better about ourselves when another person fails, to, to make ourselves big at the expense of making someone else small. I'd like to say that that is, uh, you know, a symptom of a fallen world, and it is, uh, and that it exists out there in the marketplace, but friends, it exists in the church too. Ministers of the gospel are, are, are just as tempted uh, to, to do those things, to, to, to make themselves big by making other people small. Um, the blood of Jesus, friends, shed for you out of his love for you, frees you to be a cheerleader for others, right? You don't need to walk over people's backs. You, you don't need to tear them down to be big because you already have the love and the approval and the acceptance of the only one who really matters. And he's not going anywhere and your status isn't changing. So don't, don't, don't shed the blood of others, right? Cheer them on. Yeah? Be, be confident in who you are and whose you are in Christ. Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you for my brothers and sisters here. Thank you for Westminster Seminary and its mission, um, for the faculty uh, that labors uh, to pass on the deposit of the gospel and the skills of ministry. I pray, Lord, that you would continue to 
bless the work of this institution that, uh, and that you would bless these students that as they study and are equipped for ministry, it wouldn't just be an academic exercise, as important as that is, but that it would also be devotional, that through, through these academics, um, which are preparing them for the work of the kingdom, that they would come to know you and love you more deeply and to more and more find their, their value and their identity uh, in, in you and in you alone. Thank you for this time together. Father, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Copyright 2020, Westminster Seminary, California. All rights reserved. You are permitted to reproduce and distribute this material in any format, provided that you do not alter the wording in any way and that you do not charge a fee beyond the cost of reproduction. For web posting, a link to this document on our website is preferred.